0: Hello. Welcome everybody to the Greeley Healthcare Podcast um, to, uh, that's really dealing this, uh, in this environment with our COVID-19 crisis. We just want to bring you some information from Greeley that keeps you up to date on some of the things that are happening in the regulatory environment. My name is Lisa Eddy and I'm a registered nurse and the advisory consultant for the compliance practice. We'll be focusing today on some new information that is COVID-19 related really to disaster privileging for the medical staff. I have the good fortune to have Frances Poncian with us today, uh, and she is the consultant and senior director of the Greeley Credence units. Frances is certified through the National Association of Medical Staff Services, NAMS, in professional medical services management provider, and also is certified a certified provider in credentialing So. I'm really glad to have Francis with here today, with us here today. Um, we've had a number of inquiries on the compliance side from clients about various um, issues that they're having in relationship to uh, credentialing and privileging during the crisis. So I think it would be really good to have Francis's input. So Francis, the Joint Commission came out recently with a discussion on extending provider reappointment timeframes. Can you help me understand? Because I'm on the compliance side. And, you know, I rely on you guys heavily for this provider uh, information. Can you help me understand the extension provided and the reason that this has been allowed by the Joint Commission? Yes.
1: Uh, Thank you, Lisa, for inviting me to be part of this podcast today. Um, So, yes, very interesting. Um, I will say in my 25 plus years of being a medical staff professional, I have never seen this allowance by Joint Commission for the extension of reappointments or reprivileging but there's some very specific criteria that has to be met in order for this to be allowed. And uh, recently, Joint Commission published on their um, FAQs that they will allow for an extension of the reappointment or reprivileging beyond the two-year period if the following circumstances are met. And the first, obviously, is a national emergency has officially been declared, An organization has activated its emergency management plan. And then another very important one is that it is not prohibited by the state law to extend the duration of the provider's privileges during an emergency. If all three of those are met and you have providers that their reappointment reprivileging date will expire as a result of what's going on, that extension of their reappointment Is an automatic and is allowed. Another key piece here is. Go ahead. Another key piece here is that once everything's ended, then the organization is going to have 60 days to bring those reappointments current. So that's very key in this. There's a 60-day period that that is allowed as far as the time frame where this extension is is allowed. Of course, that is dependent on the national emergency, so it could it could go on for quite some time.
0: thanks for that, Francis. So this is an interesting dynamic. what are your how would you tell our clients um, what would be your recommendations for successfully implementing this, considering you know reappointment cycles and think there's a lot of kind of moving parts to that? So what are your suggestions for implementation?
1: so the the allowance of the extension, honestly, is pretty straightforward. I mean, it's an automatic, it will happen, you can automatically just allow that extension to happen. Reappointment cycles vary across organizations, and you see organizations that have reappointments set up on a monthly basis, so every month they're processing reappointments, having them presented to the appropriate committees with the board approval. In some organizations, it's quarterly, and I've also seen some organizations where they do it once a year in bulk. So it's very dependent on the schedule. What I'd like to try to um, give you an example of is that if you have an organization that is working on a monthly basis, we have reappointments, like I'll just use a date of May, we reappointments coming up, they're due May, they have to be reappointed and approved by the end of May. Most organizations are working between four to six months in advance of that reappointment. So they very well have sent out their reappointments as early as November for a May reappointment date. So between November and now, those reappointments that have already been sent out, hopefully majority of them have been coming in, and the medical staff office has been working on those reappointments. The crisis that they, or the challenge, I'll say, that they may be faced with this month as they try to get those to committee or department chair review, is that their medical staff leadership isn't available to them because they are dealing with other things that are obviously more important. So many meetings are being canceled. Um, Leadership is just not available to you. So that's where this extension is going to be most helpful to those organizations. They've actually received the reappointment. they've, They've processed it appropriately. And because of meetings and just availability of leadership, they now need to implement that extension and essentially that reappointment gets put on hold until the emergency is over. That same scenario would apply regardless of the cycle that you're under. It's really what is due during this month and months forward and how those reappointments will be impacted. It's very important though that as you approach this, you think very strategically about it as best as you can. Because any reappointment that's put on hold, remember, you will have to bring it current and you'll only have 60 days to do it. So depending on the volume, depending on how long this lasts, you really have to think through this if you want to implement this automatic extension.
0: Okay, well, that's going to be interesting for our medical um, staff services folks. I, one of the things that I had a client ask me, and I was going to ask you, so I'm glad that we had this opportunity, how do you think this should be communicated or, or do you think it should be communicated um, to providers? And then how it should be communicated to medical staff offices? So I don't know that everybody has this information. Most people do if they're getting the Joint Commission updates, but how do you think this should be sort of information disseminated about this particular um, provision?
1: Well, again, I would be cautious in how we approach this, and even more importantly, how we communicate this, because unfortunately, there will be medical staff members and leaders, quite honestly, that may take advantage of this ability to extend the reappointments and essentially just stop everything during this emergency crisis. The likelihood of medical staff members hearing about this and knowing that it's available, I'd be surprised to be honest. But, you know, obviously they're, they very well will know about it. If they know about it, they will decide, because they can, to just not complete their reappointment application or not get the reappointment back to the department timely so that it could be processed. That's the last thing we want to happen. We don't want everything to just stop if, you know, really this allowance of the extension is to give us that time where it's absolutely necessary. So I wouldn't recommend that we just stop everything we're doing in the medical staff office and send out a, you know, blast communication that all reappointments are put on hold because, again, once this is over, now you're faced with how do you catch up? How do you bring everything current? And that right there is the bigger risk because of the short amount of time you have to complete and bring those reappointments current. And if your volume is high because this went on for some time or just the volume that you traditionally have for your reappointment cycles is high, you're going to have quite a bit of work to catch up on in addition to the day-to-day work that has to continue and reappointments that are on cycle after the crisis is over. So. Communicating out, I'd be careful. If you're in a position where you absolutely have to because that's just the circumstances of your organization and you know that things have stopped, I mean, I'll just use an example of New York City. My guess is is that reappointments are not a priority right now. So therefore, they may be sending out some communication to their medical staff and letting them know, you know, kind of removing the, the worry or the angst that they're, appointment may expire as a result of all this going on. Therefore, the communication is warranted. Let them know that, you know, you're, take, you're been given this allowance by Joint Commission. We're going to kind of put everything on hold, but know that once the emergency is over, we will need everyone to be um, responsive and ensure that you get the reappointments back, and we will proceed with those reappointments in the time allowed by Joint Commission of 60 days to bring everybody current. So it very well may be needed, but again, it's a, I would caution taking that approach if it's not absolutely necessary.
0: Okay, that's, that's some very good insight, Francis. I appreciate that. Um, so how do you think this should be documented? Meaning if you're going to trigger this, right, you're gonna allow your staff to do this, how do you think this should be documented in terms of the medical staff services folks? How should they um, capture this should they, I don't know, I don't know they do this, put it in a policy, but should it be in a guideline? Would it be in the medical staff minutes? Would it be, um, should it be approved, obviously, I think, through credentialing, MEC and the governing board, or strict just up through the board because, you know, board has the responsibility to approve all the credentialing and privileging. But what's your recommendation for how, if an organization is going to use this, it should be captured so when we have that look back after everything's over, we can, you know, follow the through line of how we went through this in a very thoughtful, systematic manner.
1: Absolutely. So you absolutely need to document. I mean, I think that's so important right now um, because it is an unusual circumstances. And I always like to recommend documentation specifically because of we might not remember two years from now exactly what was going on or, or what the time frames were or who the physicians were, providers were that were impacted by this. So that documentation is going to be very important. Um, don't necessarily think that it needs to be a formal policy, but absolutely a guideline, really using the language and the, the rule that Joint Commission has allowed within that guideline. But more importantly, when was that guideline effective? At what point did you say, is it April 1, is it May, depending on what that those reappointments are being affected, which month is affected, that's when you would want to ensure that that date is documented within that guideline. And yes, again, depending on your availability of leadership, um, very well needs to go all the way up to the board or maybe just straight to the board for them to bless it, to approve it, to say, yes, we recognize this and yes, this is allowed, and reappointments this point forward will be given this extension um, during this time of emergency. I also would recommend that in addition to that guideline, it's going to be important to track or have a really good tracking process of which reappointments, which providers are affected by this. So an attached roster, something that will give you the names of every provider that you will need to address once the emergency is over. And those reappointments may be in various stages. Like I said, if you're currently working reappointments that are due in the coming month of May or beyond, and those reappointments stop, you can't just take them straight through. Remember, there's going to be things you're going to have to do. You're going to have to bring them current. You're going to have to make sure that that license verification is current. You very well may have to run the data bank depending on how long of a time frame we're in and your organization is under its emergency plan. So there's things you're going to have to do, so you're going to have to have a roster, a running list of those providers that you're going to have to address once it's done. Ideally, that should be part of that approved agreement guideline that your governing board has provided you.
0: thanks for that, Francis. you so you answered a question that i was going to I was going to ask you, meaning, Um, We want, when any organization is um, going to have variances or uh, be out of compliance with the conditions of participation or any of your accrediting regulations, such as this would make you, if you went beyond your reappointment cycle, um, we do want to make sure that we capture, we do the right things. In some cases, we get a waiver from CMS, but we do the right things, such as um, when we tripped the wire, so to speak, when we actually started this revised process. And as so Francis mentioned that you want to very clearly document when you start. And then we know for this instance, it's very clear, Joint has said you have 60 days past the end date when the um, national emergency as, was invoked by the President of the United States and the uh, uh, Secretary of HSS. Uh, when they revoke that national disaster and say everything is the national disaster is over, then that 60-day timeline starts. So we encourage individuals to understand that not just for this, but for anything else that they are going outside of the guidelines for either the COPs or your crediting agency, um, that you have a start and stop date, so to speak, built into what you're doing. And then I do want to mention something, Francis, before I get to my last question for you. And what I want to mention to our clients is over here on the compliance side, I'm dealing with a lot of individuals that are um, experiencing the same thing that Francis is talking about for medical staff providers, for other clinicians, nurses, respiratory therapists, uh, social workers, individuals that are being called up and in to um, work in uh, hospitals and that volunteers and so forth. Uh, there is a parallel allowance in the um, in the conditions of participation in, from CMS right now. That is allowing um, volunteers and other individuals to uh, sort of function in, in different, uh, sort of functioning outside the outside the regular rules of what we have in place in healthcare. So we want to make sure that we understand that that's happening not just with the physician staff, but with all clinicians. And then, so Francis, my last question for you really is, uh, I, you know, we know how medical staffs work, and you alluded to the fact that you know, sometimes physicians don't think that getting their reappointment application done, they have to do it every two years, it's a big pain in the neck for them. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not the thing that they decide, hey, today I'm gonna sit down and do my reappointment. So (laughs) uh, I imagine there's, along with all of the spinning plates that go into a reappointment application and processing, what would you anticipate the unintended consequence of this particular allowance um, to be on medical staff offices um, and then sort of including when the, uh, you know, what would the unintended consequences be now while they're implementing this and then what are the unintended consequences perhaps that you can think of when the national emergency is over?
1: I think the unintended consequences of implementing this is that where there was an opportunity to still work some reappointment applications filed everything just suddenly stops. If you just put a blanket, we're going to stop, we're not going to do anything, we're just going to let this ride out, and once it's over, then we'll do everything. I think, unfortunately, medical, if by doing that, medical staff offices would lose the opportunity to process at least some of them that are responsive, some of them that can get through the committee review, either in person or electronically or virtually, versus just stopping everything and having it happen at the end when everything's over. Because that there, when this crisis is over and we now have 60 days to bring everything current and compliant, has a depend- potential to be, quite honestly, a bit of a mess. Because, again, depending on your volume, you will have to address those particular files. It could be 100, it could be 1,000. In addition, the day-to-day operations of the department and any reappointments due after the crisis that do not have this allowance of an extension have to be processed and done timely in order to meet the compliance requirements. So it's a lot of work that you may, medical staff offices may not be anticipating if they don't set it up in a very strategic way. So, to just kind of stop would not be the best recommendation. I think you still have to work them, those that you can, where it's absolutely you can't move it forward for various reasons, and the reasons of not getting a reappointment might not just fall on the applicant, might not just fall on leadership, but if you have requirements within your own organization of verifying 100% of hospital affiliations, well, maybe those hospitals can't reply because they are in the midst of the crisis. Maybe the peer references that have been listed can't reply because they are in the midst of the crisis. So there's so many different reasons why you might not be able to get that reappointment through. But by just completing, completely stopping, I think we're missing an opportunity to at least work some of them or some of the process to, so that when it gets to the end and when this doesn't, there's less work that has to be done versus the entire packet, the entire process for potentially a 1,000 reappointments in addition to those that are already on the schedule after the crisis. So it really is, you really have to think strategically. I mean, again, most organizations are working four to six months out, so you still have to be working four to six months out anticipating that this is going to end. You can't just stop because of this extension.
0: Well, thank you, Francis. I really do appreciate you spending the time with us today. And I want to thank our listeners as well. I do want to point out that there's a model um, policy that sort of gives us this waiver, if you will, uh, for this temporary situation. Yeah. That, and again, policy guideline, whatever you want to call it. I'm not always in favor of a hard policy, but you might have an, a you know, guideline. You can also discuss this in your medical staff. Uh, MEC minutes going up to the board We as as Francis mentioned we do want to get board approval because they have the ultimate oversight. But I I just wanted to thank you so much, Francis. I know you're super busy with everything going on. Um, I do want to uh, point uh, our listeners to another podcast that we've recently completed with Dr. Mary Hoppe um, regarding COVID-19 considerations for hospital medical staffs. And uh, Dr. Hoppe and actually Dr. Rick Sheff had a conversation about some of the things that are, are being challenging within the hospital medical staffs right now. And I think disaster privileging is touched on not as deeply and as thoroughly, I believe, as this particular podcast, but folks might want to take a listen to that. It's very informative. So I would refer all of our listeners to our website, Greeley.com, for information on what's sort of happening out there right now and the various recommendations we have on compliance and the medical staff side for managing some of the COVID 19 situations, again, that's Greeley.com, G-R-E-E-L-E-Y.com. And thanks again, everybody, for your time today.
1: Thank you, Lisa. I appreciate it.
0: You bet.